Welcome back to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. You're very welcome. I was lucky enough while I was in Drogheda to meet up with a fella called Sean Matthews. So Sean's a, a Drogheda lad, born and bred. He uh, he grew up around around the area I grew up. If you listen last week, you'll, you'll know. But uh, I grew up in Drogheda. I was lucky enough to meet Sean through a mutual friend. And Sean was so generous. He gave us two hours out of the last Sunday of the flat to sit down and take us through some some really chewy stuff and some brilliant singing as well so i think you're in for a real treat this is uh this is a very different style again of of interview and delivery of songs which i think you'll enjoy i i, I got so much from this interview personally so sean thank you so much for that what is the last sunday of a flower like is it describe it paint the picture well look i'm gonna i'm gonna so when i got to draw it in the first few weeks, the first few days, sorry, there's the usual. There's like t-shirts around, knockoff t-shirts, like the official merch, and then there's a knockoff stuff, and there's like t-shirts with it. One of which I actually got was lots of uh, lots of seagulls flying, and they were all saying "fly, fly, fly," which, in hindsight, was genius, and I should have just snapped one on the first day. But one t-shirt I was looking at it was like, "I'm I'm flat out," and I remember like rolling my eyes, going, "Oh yeah, I'm flat out." Come Saturday of the flat, I actually went home early because I was flat out. <laughs> the Sunday, the Saturday was mad. There's 250,000 people in Drada on the Saturday, so I, I I read. The Sunday is is a very celebratory, but also somber. Everyone knows this magic, and there's no other word for it. I don't mean magic. I mean it in the how I think of the excitement of old kid magic. The magic is leaving tonight and it's this is the last chance. So the Sunday is it's beautiful. All all the families are there. The weather was fantastic. It was great. But a little treat that I didn't know about is the Monday of the flower when all the streets are back open and all of the tourists leave. That's a very special day. So if you ever get to go to a flat hill, stay for the Monday night. Very strange feeling on the streets. The shops are back open. People are back doing their, their shopping in Duns and other places, but there's still players on the streets. The pubs are all still busy, but there's none of the none of the hoo ha, and there's no tourists around anymore. And I think it's like maybe a it's like the musicians day. I think they they call it the hangover. Is, is there um, knowing you like I do? I, I have a feeling you're attracted to the slight sense of desolation. Yeah, <laughs> about it? yeah. It was it's it's an eerie eerie beautiful like there's a there's a mournfulness it's almost like a wake mm-hmm. in that in that sense like people are sad but they're having they they're ringing the last out of it and it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing and some of the best music I, I listened to was that week i think there's almost a sigh of relief that it's finished it, 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 750,000 people are a lot of people to hold so i think maybe the town in itself size has a sigh of relief but then i think the musicians and the pressure's off for everyone so they just enjoy it. If you can, I would recommend staying the Monday night wherever the flower is. Mullingar next year. And so it makes it all the more um, the more lovely that Sean took time on mm-hmm. the Sunday yep. to come and talk to us. Absolutely. Come lads and lassies, pay attention and to you I will relate. Concerning all athletic men who came from Dooleygate. Owen Riley and John McLaughlin were two men of courage bold. And they challenged one another to a race upon the road. T'was a Tuesday night at eight o'clock this great event took place. And thousands came from miles around to see this marathon chase. You may talk about Jem Fagan or O'Brien from Donabate, but none of them could hold a candle to the boys from Dooleygate. Now the journey for this great event, it was a mile or more. From Samson's Lane to the Kula Bridge and down by Moore's Door. Says Riley to McLaughlin now for beer my throat does thirst. 
Says Charles Smith, I'll give a gallon to the man who comes home first. When the orders came from the starting line, each man he stacked his clothes. Dolly David was the starter and Sam Cooper was the judge. With signals up then naturally each man he gave a sport. But O'Reilly found himself behind the wind caught in his shirt. And around by Keelahan's corner as the kids did roar with Lee. And they got a great reception as they went round Riley's tree. But was on the homeward journey that the sport it soon began. For the kids they roared at Riley go and catch em if you can. But Riley he was punctured then and almost choked with dust. All along the route you could hear them say the Thatcher's coming first. For McLaughlin had the staying power you could see throughout the race. And Riley done his utmost but he couldn't stand the pace. And with a burst of speed in his hour of need, away with the wind McLaughlin went. And he ran right up to bursted tape and win this great event. You may talk about Jem Fagan or O'Brien from Donabate, but none of them could hold a candle to the boys from Dooleygate. Ah, Sean Matthews, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you. So this, the song you just sang, can you take us through all of that where, where did you get it from what's it about I got that song from a man called Sean Faulkner he's a one of the one of the good few uh, song historians in the town there are a number of them and uh, it was it's the song is about guys who used to race the road for money before there was any other voices you know kind of big gambling arenas yeah. or, or even um you know, they had all sorts of voices like that at that time. They had terrier racing as well, which was another big one. It was where these kind of mongrel dogs would be all graded and raced. And it's a bygone era. But uh, the song, yeah, it tells the story about about two guys who, who race. And, of course, it begins and ends uh, like any uh, big Irish story at the pub. Yeah. <laughs> so this area is Dooleygate, right? Yeah. Um, which is just in the, the northern, oh, sorry, the southern side of the River Boyne in Drada. Yeah, it is. Um, as as the as draw had a kind of evolved throughout the years. Um, the core and the most historic part of draw had is the part that would have been inside the old town walls, and uh, there was a gate uh, at just to our end of the town. It was Dooley Gate, and yeah. over the years it was called Dooley Gate. So there's a lot of songs about Dooley Gate in the area, and uh, I came to learn the phrase Dooley Gate. Um, when I used to walk in the pub at the very top of the Pitcher Hill steps, you know the Top Shop pub, yep. <laughs> and uh, the yeah, uh, I used to walk there and and I used to hear the old people talk about uh, Dooley Gate, you know, yeah. and um, and then I kind of realised after a while that it was almost like a town within a small town. Yeah, I had that feel about. It. Yeah, and when you mentioned it to me, it was like hearing a a ghost. When you said earlier on, you said Dooley Gate, and I knew it, it was like I was kind of looking for it in the dark in my mind and going I know like that's such a it's a name I've heard I know but I couldn't place and then of course it's just it's here yeah it's 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 definitely one that I I, I would have heard on and off myself and I wouldn't have registered until I realised how important it was to the people in the area so you grew up in Drogheda I grew up in Drogheda in um, Ballsgrove which would have been in it, in its very infantile state it would have been part of the original area of Dulique. Um because you know you know yourself in in this part of the world everything is done by parishes. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah but I grew up in Ballsgrove and because but because I was so close to Congress Avenue, which probably where you went as well I as did, school, I did. That's in the heart of Dooley Gate. So yep. we ended up being uh, 
indoctrinated fairly quick yeah <laughs> and uh, then i went to st mary's the austin school which is also in dooley gate so um, that's where i went <laughs> <laughs> so you can see where yeah. where where i got drawn into the area and of course all my friends um are from the area as well and were you always into um traditional music i always had a fondness for i was never really exposed to i, I don't come from a traditional music family right um I I don't I come from a, I'm a from a musical family and certainly one side of my mom, my mum's family would be would be traditional, but uh, I wasn't exposed to it at a young age like uh, many of the families and kids you'd see down out there at the flat this week. Yeah, they would be um, you know um, from a, from almost the age they can hold a fiddle or or fire on or yeah. whatever it is they 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 choose to play uh did you know so so to them it's a language and it's a way of thinking which for it's it's like um I, i've been reading this book lately called uh, range by david epstein and uh, it's really cool it's it's kind of based on how you can uh how you can shape uh, your interest from a from a very early age to to be completely focused and have and being much much more uh you'd have much more elasticity with the language of Irish music. So from my point of view, it was I was kind of operating, coming in on field, yeah. listening to unaccompanied songs, whereas a lot of the kids that grow up with traditional music, they they know jigs and reels, and they always have loads, loads of songs. And to them, it's they can figure out songs relatively quickly because yeah. they know how they're, how they're structured and they understand what their instrument can do and the scales they work within. And, um, so from my point of view, I kind of started off uh, from an outside looking at maybe big ballads, the Dubliners, Luke Kelly, um, and having a, like an appreciation for them. So were you young when you when you were when you were approaching these songs? Are you are you are you particularly young or is it, like where were you? Were you still in primary school, secondary school? I think I think when I first started Luke Kelly in the Dubliners, I was still in school. Yeah, and you do your friends doing school, right? Completely. And uh, so there was a lot of Oasis and a lot of Guns N' Roses <laughs> yeah. kind of thrown into the mix and uh, trying to emulate your heroes, Tin Lizzy. Um, again, it's that, it's that osmotic thing with, with, with friends and with, with circles that you associate yourself. And um, my circles weren't kind of geared towards traditional music. So I'm completely with you. Like, I know that. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, like so, I know what that is. So yeah. you feel drawn to it, but you don't feel stuck when mm-hmm. you're drawn. Yeah, and uh, I suppose what what changes is is uh, is your circumstances or your stage in your life or whatever it is that makes the songs even more powerful. And maybe it's a case of even at that age when you're really young, you're afraid to have your own opinion. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. Like particularly if you like that high school thing and. The, the music that you choose to associate yourself with marks you out as that's who you are if you're into music you've been into sport and you're a jock and like you've been judged and you've been you've been given a lift up for a different reason when you're in high school and you kind of attach yourself to a kind of a kind of music you you attract other people and other people judge you in a certain way for your for your taste so it's it's tricky it's tricky yeah. <laughs> because yeah because yeah because if you're one of those guys who likes a bit of everything yeah you don't know what gang to stay with yeah but then at least you've got a little bit to talk to everyone about yeah that's usually where i was yeah that's usually where i was so you said Um, your your mum's side of the family is musical to some extent what 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 were they doing they're both flute players right and and, uh my grandfather um and his family they they uh, they came from armagh and sometime in the kind of revolutionary period in Ireland before the independence around that time they moved down so but they were kind of from uh, they, they, they had a they had a background and a kind of an old school how would you say back, uh, they had a they had values and core values you know like yeah. a fireside kind of core values so the lads p- tried to pick up instruments, you know. Then yeah. when they when they got to, when they moved down here and they and they were growing up, and um, yeah, it's it's a strange thing that kind of died off uh, by by almost the end of the sixties, where it was that fireside effect. You know, my granddad was still old enough that his brothers and sisters were all there was a fireside thing going on yeah. where there was a you, you know they hadn't got 
televisions and they hadn't got radios so there was still that there was still a kind of a a very keen interest in a, in a good story a bit of a yarn and a few tunes mm. and uh, that's that's very much where irish music comes from and uh, i guess so by proxy they they uh, they were into it and do you remember any of that yeah, any time there was a family event, they would they would play and they still do because yeah. the two of them are still alive, and um, my granddad was the eldest. But uh, I love that far side. I actually hadn't heard that as a as a turn of phrase. Like far side values. I was I was really lucky, I think, to experience it. So my on my mum's side, my granddad, they worked. He was a groundskeeper at Collington's. So just past the gate of Collington's is a small whitewash um, touch house and that's yeah. where they grew up wow. so when I was a when I was a young lad like up to probably about seven eight maybe at the latest so I'd go out there probably once a week and they still didn't have running water or TV they had the fire in the um, Paddy who was the he, he was um, my granddad's brother he still lived in the house and we'd go out and we'd sit beside the fire with two benches either side of the fire there was a kitchen table itself to one side the place was like tiny but the fire was the place you'd sit and as a young lad at seven, I can't remember what they were talking about, but I absolutely remember sitting, listening to stories being tossed back and forth over the fire. And this, that's a, it's a bygone era. My kids now are sitting there, sitting their iPhones, they're sitting their iPads. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful, that, that turn of phrase, I like that. So then when you were going to um, family events, there would be music present on that side of the family anyway. On that side yeah. of the family. And nothing on your dad's side. Where are they from? My dad's side are from Clawhead. Yeah, okay. And uh, they come from a, what was a big tradition, kind of a fishing family. Yeah. They lived on the big strand in Clawhead. And, uh, yeah, there was never music from that side. Not that I know of. Um, but they're, uh, they're a good gang. Yeah. <laughs> but the stories are just uh, the other half of it, right? And you're, you're the crossover. You're, you put the stories in musical form. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, that, that fireside effect something something popped into my head there's a story that uh, Joe Heaney's a Chanel singer came from Karna um, Karna as they'd say I think I think that's how they'd say it over there and I used to live near there but so I got very curious about Joe a while ago and he used to say I don't know what, what got me thinking about this but that people used to have to bless themselves when they pass the milk charm before they come into people's houses to really? to visit and sing songs. And thing? if you think about information and how freely it kind of travelled travels now compared to then, there was a still a heavy superstitious side to people, mm-hmm. which meant that storytelling and values were all connected in a way. You know, people people wanted to stay together. Yeah. More so than anywhere. You know, company was so important. Mm. You know, if you think of even, you know, the free availability of books, I can remember growing up, it was still kind of, you would have to go to a library to get a book, and nowadays um, it's a click away. Yeah. Mm. Um, that just popped into my head. So, what was then the moment when you kind of decided to actively go towards it instead of like maybe you're still eclectic most people still maintain that but what was the point with Irish music you, you kind of went towards it like particularly with the singing um, a, f- a few years ago I um, I've, I'm really good friends with a local solicitor and he's a kind of a he's a musician and he's a, he's a, he, he would represent musicians as well and he's a he's a good character in the town Paddy Goodwin and adopted the son of Drahla and uh Paddy brought me down to this uh, event down in Carberry's a few years ago. It was it was called Fresh Kill, and I went down one night to see what it was like. And as as it happened and the way work was going, I couldn't make any of the other nights. But Paddy had sent me over the material that they were going through in Fresh Kill in an email, and over gradually over a long period of time, I kind of trawled through the songs because I always had an idea that when I was working on my solo albums that I might uh, rework a traditional song but as I was working through the songs I wouldn't dare change them because they were so good on their own and uh, but it gave me it gave me a great a great interest in it but I hadn't pursued the interest or worked up the courage to go down on Wednesdays to sing Um, a lot of it was 
down to my own my own ideas that um like I like I alluded to earlier about you know, not coming from a traditional family yeah and having a little bit of a, a inferiority complex that's wild man like this is this whole project is started off with that feeling wanting to be involved and wanting to step into it but you kind of feel if it's not part of your DNA you don't have a right to it as much which yeah. is obviously silly but you can't help the little monkey in the brain the money says to you sometimes <laughs> there must be something in the psyche around here yeah it's it's strange that mm. we both think like that I mean it's like um, the, there's the the big phrase at the moment you know for, for people is fake it till you make it you know this yeah. kind of thing and uh, but it makes me laugh because I mean if you said that to my father's generation you'd have two red ears yeah it's an honest day's work for an honest day's pay and that was you, you do what you do yeah, yeah. so then what, you're heading down to Carberry's and that's when you're first getting exposed to um, the singing yeah I went down and I met uh, I met Jerry Cullen and I met Pat Carlin and Sean Faulkner Pat Colgan Ruth Campbell Des Howard um, and you know some some singers that will visit like Dermot Summers and um, Joe Gallagher like some really really good uh, people who would have incredible amounts of songs and the the variety the variety of songs was powerful and one of the things they do at those sessions is uh, it's almost a transcendental thing. Around the same time I was, I began to attend the sessions, I was doing uh, a course in transcendental meditation, um, TM if you've ever heard of it. Um, it's it's a it's a way it's a way you kind of of it's a it's a method for for meditation. But the thing, the thing, what relates the two is that while one person is singing, everybody else closes their eyes and uh, stays quiet. So it's almost like that the person who's singing voice kind of takes you somewhere else. Completely. And that's a weekly thing in this town down there, and it is phenomenal when you see tourists coming in. They, they can almost not not wrap their heads around the yeah. intensity of it, and it is you know it is um. It's funny to watch sometimes. Does it, it still go on? It does, yeah, yeah. Every Wednesday, and I, even I can think of a time there relatively recently where a couple of tourists went in, and you could just see their heads tilted. They were in absolute awe of how a group of people could be so engaging to one another mm-hmm. and so appreciative of one another. And I guess that's what that's what made me record this album that I have at, out at the moment. It gave me a love for music again going down there when I got over that that initial uh, self, self-talk. self See, I really want to go into that. I want to find out about those first few weeks and what what your emotions were like, what it was, how you prepared for, and then pretty much when did you sing? So take us through, you've been invited down, you go down and, and you have your first, you moved because you've, you've been exposed to it. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a funny story. It's... I was sitting at the bar. I wouldn't sit down with them the first time I went. Yeah. But I see, I was a big, a big Anne Briggs fan through Paddy Gooden, who introduced me to Fresh Coal down there. And um, uh, but Paddy had talked about Anne Briggs on the way up, on the way back from the Fresh Coal. And I said, oh, "I'll have a listen to Anne Briggs." And uh, Anne Briggs got me in. Like, gave me his. I was listening to Anne Briggs singing songs unaccompanied and thinking, "I can't even hum the ornamentation and the notes and that. How do, how yeah. does she do that?" This is amazing. This is like a whole new world, and I can practice it in the car on the way up to work and home. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's an instrument where you need your hands. And yeah. So I started my technical ability to sing at, at you know with those melodies uh, accelerated when I started listening to Annie first of all and trying to learn those songs. But it wasn't Annie Briggs' song that I sang the first night because it was, you know, my way of kind of showing that. Listen, uh, I, ca- I can sing, but I don't really have s- that many songs. Yeah. So what? which song was it? Uh, Tony Moore Woods. Tony Moore. Do you remember it? Yeah. Do you fancy it? Yeah. It's it's it's, uh, it's a song about poaching, in, in, and it's based in Nottingham. Um, and it's, it's, it's a northern, a real northern kind of a song. And it goes back oh, well over 150 years. Um, there's the versions of it. This is the Annie Briggs version. 
In Tony Woods in Nottinghamshire. Tony Woods in Nottinghamshire. Three gamekeepers' houses stood three square about a mile from each other they were. Put as they were to look out for the dear father like to rely Now me and me dogs we went out one night. The moon and the stars were shining bright. O'er hedges and ditches, fields and stiles, with my three dogs trotting close by me heels, to catch the fat buck up in tarny more fields, father like to rally day. That very first night we had bad luck, one of me very best dogs got shot. He came to me down, all bloodied and maimed. Right sorry was I for to see the same. Him not being able to follow the game. Father like to rely day. I searched his wounds and I found them slight. Twas done by a gamekeeper out of spite. I'll take a stick right tight in me hands. I'll search the woods till I find that man. I'll trash his old hide out right well if I can. Father, like to rely well, I went home and I went to bed. Limping Jack went out in me stead. O'er hedges and ditches, fields and stiles, he found a book lying dead on his side. My little dog had give him the death wound, father like to rely day. Well, limping Jack, he cut the book's throat, tied his legs with a good stout rope. And I had a laugh to see limping Jack up in the lane with the book on his back. Carried it just like a peddler's pack. Father like to rely day. Well, we got us a butcher to skin the game. And likewise another to sell the same. But the very first joint we offered for sale, it was to a girl. She sold bad ale. She had us a young lads up in Nottingham jail. Father, like to rely day. In Nottingham, our size is you and I. He us three young lads who were brought to be trialed. But the magistrates laughed him all to scorn. He says the old bugger should be forsworn. Into little pieces torn. Father like to rely day. Now Nottingham masses have been and passed. Us three young lads are free at last. The books and the doors will never run free. A poacher's life is the life for me. A poacher I will always be. Father, like to rely day. I'm obviously from the area and I know Carberry's. And Carberry's is a, it's a pretty intense experience at the best of times. It's a special place in Drada and you really feel you you feel connected to history and and the, the community it's it's seen a lot those walls haven't changed for many years so to to close my eyes when you were singing it I, I was there I was I, was, I felt like I was with you that first night what, what was it like that night did just did, was that the moment when you felt a little bit more connected a bit more ownership or did you still have a bit of a, a long road ahead of you I had a long road ahead of me. <laughs> Take us down that road. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the first things I learned was um, when you when you start beginning to sing unaccompanied, um, you'll see some singers. It's a, it's it's very common. I've seen it happening in Dub- Dublin more than I've seen it happening in uh, 
in in other areas like in other areas now not that I'm well travelled in the world of unaccompanied singing but some people they, they hold little harmonicas uh, to pitch for before they start a song and one of the first things I learned um, of one of the singers there was that if if you know what your lowest note is and then you can kind of pitch up to it like do re mi laugh and so on you know? yeah. because certain songs are kind of difficult to sing if you start really high yeah. and uh it's probably one of the first things that I got fascinated with with unaccompanied singing was the fact that you can self-pitch. So sometimes in the pure chromatic scale, you'll have, you know, uh, A, A sharp, B, C, C sharp, D, uh, that kind of thing, where it's a language like a piano key. But you will often have singers singing in between these yeah. keys, you know, yeah. in their own pitchy way. like they, um, And that was one of the most fascinating sides to it and then I started looking up the Joe Heaney archive again and in the Joe Heaney archive he talks about a thing called the Nya and the Nya is a is 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 this kind of sensation that you can emulate when you're singing where it's the drone of the pipes are kind of behind your voice it's like a presence and uh, when I started digging into that and trying to trying to uh, shape it in my own way with my own interpretation um, it, it made me a much much better singer right and uh, it's, it's a fascinating side to an accompanied singing so just can you go like I'm struggling a wee bit to understand is it the yo or the nya I can give you an example are they the same thing as, as I've heard and I've heard it and I've probably pretended like I understood what it was when people said oh no the, the nya of a tune is the no, no or na? Yeah. Are they the same thing? Or I'd, no? I'd say so. Okay. Like it's the idea that if I played this note on the guitar, um, that you can play melodies over the notes. So if, if the drone is in D. Oh, 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 and but the idea that um, you've got, you've got your voice is staying to to an almost it's almost like there's a continuous note in your head yeah helping you to breathe into into the song and to stay pitch pitch healthy mm-hmm. throughout it I'm still chasing in you but yeah yeah <laughs> no you give me what you can give and I'll just I'll try and unpack some of it later on and I'm right okay okay yeah. it's fascinating so it's to unaccompanied singing and like I said before as well is the the timing of it as well you, you'll sometimes find in a song that when it reaches the kind of peak part of the story that if you had a metronome nearby like a digital metronome that they'd use if they were recording pop or they were recording in Nashville or something like that um, you do boop 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 you're you're, yeah. you're a digital um metronome if you had that you know during a lot of unaccompanied songs the metronome would be running away yeah and then sometimes it would be too slow because when somebody's trying to breathe life into a song they might speed up a little bit in the song and then yeah. slow down a little bit in the song and uh, if if you if you take that and all that experience that I've, I've kind of learned collectively over the last while and um, that all fed into it all fed into the album because the album was done live right it was done live in Milmant in the Martello Fort in Drada yeah. and um, we built on top of those tracks and there is those tempo variations but, right. they're, but they're perfectly natural so you, you recorded the band live it wasn't multi-track I, I, or later on it was yeah, so the what was what happened was we used we used six different microphones in the tower. Yeah. We used a close a close up microphone. Um, we used a, we used a microphone you know that was running about six foot of us a stereo microphone, and then we used microphones on the balcony, one in the stairs and one one way up on top of the balcony. So whenever we needed more reverb, for example, we were just hitting the balcony uh, faders up. Gorgeous. <laughs> Yeah. So, so who was involved with that album? Breffney Hoolan produced the album with me and I'd been looking for somebody to do the album. I've been through the mill when it comes to going into a recording studio that has a big clock behind the sound desk and uh, you uh, you know, you don't get anything for anything kind mm-hmm. of a thing, kind of an experience. Um, 
music is a business, but it's also art. So uh, I was trying to find someone who got the balance. Yeah. And um, Bethany certainly had the balance. So was your, you, Bethany was your producer and he just took you in there and, and you went through, through it together? Yeah, we went through the songs a few times. What a space. What an incredible space. And we were there at very strange times in the day because... Uh, the the uh, the tour the old Drogheda Society run the tower and they run tours till about half four so we weren't able to get in there until five o'clock most days if not later and um, Donica uh, McRhino without without him um, we wouldn't we probably wouldn't have been able to do it because yeah. Donica came out of his way to to open up the tower for us he's in the old Drogheda Society and he was delighted that the album was being recorded in the tower and you got to launch. And we got the launch during the fire exactly yeah which was amazing um, yeah. like the f- it, I, I was literally sitting in the spot where I'd done those recordings incredible which is really cool yeah. to, it's very rare that that would happen yeah. um, I, and I can't think of an example I'm sure it has yeah but well, very I, uh, few and far between absolutely yeah. it was almost it was inches away from the spot where I'd actually recorded those songs Um as in terms of our lead vocal and 12 string guitar it was all i done both together at the same time in live takes and then we just took the best live take to build the track up on yeah can you get that online yeah yeah so where where can people go and check that out Amazon Music Spotify all the digital outlets have the album now yeah and, brilliant uh, is the best place are you on Bandcamp I'm trying to get you the most money as possible I know a lot <laughs> and it's true and I think for the listeners like the Spotify's are great but if you really want to support the artist where would you send someone at the minute where where would you prefer people get it from um, or it doesn't matter <laughs> at the moment uh, at the moment uh, I, what I would be just more than happy to to get is, is somebody to listen to the album in its yeah. entirety go out and support them it's an incredible album so just take us let's go back just for a second to um the, the the journey the road on the singing so you've you've had your first night in Carberry's and then you start to learn about things like the um the na and um and self pitching what was your what was your process from from there and you just so I can not know you're fairly young at this age still right yeah I'm yeah. I'm thirty two no but when you started when you started singing at Carberry's what age were you oh I was I was only thirty one thirty actually 30. yeah right so it's yeah. recently like recently enough this, uh, you've been yeah. on this road oh sorry I was 31 because I, I'd, I'd come down a few years before and it just it wasn't until I went to the singers club at the Fiat Creole that I really wanted to learn the songs because uh, singers from all over the country were there from Armagh and from you know from Cork, Kerry Cavan and singer you know every county had a singer there but it was the best and, um, and what is it about unaccompanied singing that well, for me, it was for me, um, and Darren, you can probably relate to this because we've, you know, we've grown up in the same circles. For me, uh, unaccompanied singing like it was beautiful if you had a really good singer, but uh, sometimes unaccompanied singing um, can get a bad uh, reputation. You know, if uh, these guys are kind of in the corner roaring when they've got loads of alcohol, or yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so for me, I wasn't sure what to associate it with because, like I said, I hadn't got the traditional background. But um, when I when I got exposed to when I got exposed to the Carberry scene and realised it was pure and as pure as I could possibly imagine, where nobody would be really drinking mm-hmm. or anything like that, and it would never get it torn into a session. Yeah. You know, um, for me, um, it gave me a sense of responsibility as well as as well as a sense of appreciation because I realised that if people like me at my age don't carry these songs on they'll be stuck in some archive and so it's nice to keep passing on the cultural equity yeah. and it did it did that was probably the next stage of when I started going down to Carberry's the next stage was that I felt that that sense of uh, responsibility I hasn't left and it's if anything it's gotten stronger and I suppose it is I can see how the most passionate singers in the town have become the most passionate collectors for it's for that same reason yeah Yeah, Dominic often uses the analogy and I really enjoy it when he talks about this metaphorical line of 
people standing one behind the other, going back hundreds of years. More than I'm like some of the songs are. Who knows how, how old? And it's unless someone stands at the front of that queue, then it it, it ends. It dies with those people. Absolutely. So you have to put your own personal worries behind when it comes to oh someone in the corner might say that oh sure he's only into this now because the flies rolling into town or something like that you have to put all that behind you and kind of say well come what may I'm going to carry this on it's much bigger it's much bigger than us yeah it's much bigger than us it's about it's about the music it's a funny myself and Dom actually go, pa- go back and forth on this it's about the music and then there's the flip side of it which is a, it's the people that carry the music and they, without those two you need the two to continue absolutely yeah. you do and there's no you know there's no easy way of there's no easy way of getting new people into anything mm. um, you just hope that it, it carries on somehow yeah. it goes back to that fireside t- thing we were talking about and there's the distractions how many great traditional music families have would have extinguished their repertoire of tunes in the next generation because you know there was a TV in the corner or a radio or what we lost when when the print became something that people could access we probably lost hundreds of songs when when print came in for us and they were all went oh what's this they don't need to sit around as much and then this this is obviously a, a tsunami in comparison to what print would have done but then on the other yeah. hand on the other hand it, it's never been easy there's me in Australia this podcast is produced out of Australia. I can access a, such a rich community at a click. And I mean, I, I'm not saying that my, um, it's a surrogate. And I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm getting the, the true experience, but at least I'm getting something. And because I'm, I'm in baby steps trying to there's human. There's a human nature side to that. It's, it's the sense of belonging. Well, this week has blown my mind for, for that. Like just actually feeling like you're part of something physical. Absolutely. I mean, I can relate to that a hundred percent. Where you, it, it, it is a, it's a, it's an, it's an amazing feeling if you if you do get that sense of belonging. Yeah. Would you would you have said that you've seen a a market change in Drogheda in the last year, from Flakyol eighteen to nineteen? Did they? Did has the town, or the county to that matter? kind of held on to the the culture a bit more and has there been an uplift in it like did music stay on after the flat left the interest in it and more players is Carby's busy on a Wednesday busier on a Wednesday I really would have thought that it would have given the whole thing a shot in the arm um, massively yeah. in fact when I you know when I when I think about it more and more um, I think I think I'm not as well placed maybe to to to, to sure. comment on it, but I have heard that say the Kyotas, for example, Drogheda Kyotas has seen a massive lift in numbers. Yeah. And interestingly, um, out of curiosity, I kind of had a had a look through um, the winners last year and some of the age categories and and uh, and uh, instruments and that, and I noticed say for example, you know Sligo had a lot of places in it, and I was thinking kind of looking and going I wonder it was because the flower kill was there about three four years ago and that talent is now just only talent. starting to bubble because yeah. it would take at least three to four years yeah and I'm thinking yeah, is that what that is like yeah. um, but no Sligo would have an incredible tradition uh, in a variety of uh, disciplines uh, so maybe it was just being anecdotal but yeah no but that's that's why I'm asking like even a year is such a short amount of time particularly knowing that you've got Flyer, the second coming <laughs> happening, it'll only be you're right. It's only going to be year two, year three when you start seeing kids who picked up the guitar last year who are now they're four or five years in. They're brave enough to start saying, "Hey, this is me." Uh, yeah, it's a bit like it's a culture thing. It's a culture thing. Um, I I I think culture doesn't change quickly. Um, as much as I'd love, I think the 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 purest the purest version of of. Uh, of, of kind of helping the culture change is probably with the youngest uh, kids you know um, like the six, seven, eight year olds that are watching the fly now I think that's the purest version of changing yeah. the culture because I mean there is a flip side to this Darren where last night you know uh, I, somebody had asked me to sing a song 
and I started singing a song and they stopped me halfway through and said can you sing something we all know so there is that side of like not to not to uh, <laughs> not to be negative but there is that side of to of the general Irish uh, well regional kind of northeast regional town kind of person that would be exposed to daytime radio mm-hmm. and wants that only yeah it's I work in craft beer and you talk you talk about representing local people and I can remember a restaurant owner who's a relative saying to me I'm having my I'm having my wedding in a couple of weeks time and uh, I'm getting married in a in a brewery next to a brewery in, in an old mill and they're selling their own beer there yeah. which is I think is awesome and he said to me this restaurant owner oh I can't wait to go to your wedding but you're not going to have any of that old crafty stuff there are you and I was thinking that's a local restaurant owner dependent on local people to spend money locally yeah. who's saying this so there is a cultural depravity and mm. um, that is much tougher to tackle in a year you know um, so this is a bigger question but do you think you you said it maybe it's a northeast thing I I completely relate to the things you're talking about in a minute and I think I allowed it to hold me back for a long time like I would never have done something like this as a, a yeah, even at your age I would never have I would have been so afraid of that element that I just wouldn't even living all the, the way in Australia do you think it's a is it is it, is it I don't know is it Drogheda is it North East is it Irish there is a there is a self depreciating side to to Irishness <laughs> in general yeah. and I think especially expats can relate to that and uh, because you don't see it as much I mean um, like I almost moved to Toronto a few years ago and when I was over there I, it was one of the first th- things I realised was that that candid self narrative <laughs> doesn't really happen over there no. as much yeah. you're you the know, only one beating yourself up yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> why is never else taking shots at themselves somebody says oh Darren that's a lovely pair of glasses and you'll say oh yeah, yeah they're alright yeah, <laughs> yeah they're alright <laughs> yeah so would you have a song because what I'd love to do is I'd love to have a, another song and then I actually just want to talk to you for a little bit about um archiving I could sing I could sing a song an unaccompanied song that I, I well a song that I, I began began accompanied and now is unaccompanied it's about the it's about kind of it's about about the push really the push in the last recession in this in this country that kind of a lot of people find themselves um, all over the place from I mean I nearly went and uh, it's just lucky I didn't yeah. you know I mean it's the right job can find a guy at the right time and we all know that story and then the right lady can come along when you're gone and you don't want to come back or the <laughs> the world's sticky and you know yeah. you just no. don't know where you're going to end yeah. up um, but no this is a song called um, it's called The Pope's Children John Paul was born the day the Pope went to Killineer his mother she gave birth as mass was said on the hill. John Paul grew up in the 80s when things were still a stare. When he was finished with the tech, he would be getting out of here. And all around the town and country promises were made. Politicians said the good times were really on the way. John Paul listened to the news and got himself a trade. He served his time, he bought a van, and then the Celtic Tiger came. They had plenty of money and plenty of time. The Pope's children climbed and climbed. Up and up they never looked down. The work was gone when they looked around. John Paul had to work on every day of every week. Plasterers were needed so we built a little team. From Poland, Lithuania, Cullen and Aleek. Good times and cheap labour helped young John Paul live the dream. 
But then the Cullen and the Leak boys were offered bigger pay. To an agency in Dublin they were gone and on the way. But then the boys called back to ask about tax and proverbials hit the fan. An accountant was never in John Paul's cunning master plan. They had plenty of money and plenty of time. The Pope's children climbed and climbed. Up and up they never looked down. The work was gone when they looked around. Plenty of money and plenty of time. The Pope's children climbed and climbed. Banks, loans, look where it went. Where are we now? All the money's been spent. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy song, isn't it? Is that one of your own? Yeah. Fantastic song. It's pretty, it's pretty deep. It gets yeah, to the point, right? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm 1980, so... You know, I, I just missed being called John Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was in that year when, like, it was like John, <laughs> John Paul was like half a class on shot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, far out. So, when you went down to the West during the recession, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So, what uh, what took you down there? I ended up working for. Uh, company that had a, a lab that was supported by Anudoros. Um Anudoros are like the industrial authority in Connemara. So I lived in the Gaeltucht um, okay. for on and off for about three years. And yeah, it was the recession kind of was fed into the reason why I had to move for work. Yeah. Um, not obviously not as far as some other people. Um so I was always grateful for that. But um, yeah, it was a completely different way of life. Um, but it gave me a much, much deeper understanding of community. Yeah. Do you speak Irish? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I was able, because I suppose when you go to Connemara and you talk to people in Connemara and they know that you, you know, you're not a mother tongue, tongue speaker, they tend to switch to English around you. So instead of kind of forcing the matter, and it would be actually... It would slow down the conversation, believe it or not, if you kind of came out with your leaving Saratonas level Irish. Because yeah. even the way they write their Irish, uh, you know, they they said like, I know I've had several friends over there who said that, you know, you think we would fly through leaving Saratonas Irish, and um, but it's much harder for us to to write it the way it has to be written right. in the kind of academic context. So is it kind of written in a vernacular like it's written with the local yeah so um, so they would have a, a phrases that they would they would say the, the way it flows better for them yeah, yeah, locally yeah. and but they know that 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 they that there is book irish and then there's uh like like a cora kind of can't uh, uh why yeah like stuff the way you talk at home like yeah. and um i was one of interesting sides to it so it was almost like if I did make the effort uh, to learn, um, you, you still you would you could spend ten years learning, but you would never have that 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 um, the local touch to to it, and you would it would always be words you was you would use a context mm. which. And I, do you know what? I think I relate. So when I go back home, Australia home, the first thing I'll lose is all my turns of phrases. So for the last two weeks, I've been speaking how I used to always speak, never in a straight line, always colourful round, old euphemism for everything. You're probably getting that, localised versions of that, in a different language. <laughs> like yeah. it just, you just lose your mind. So yeah, I know, you let, you, when you say you'd slow down the conversation, of course you would. Like, and I so, didn't do honours, I am Irish. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. So from, from that point of view, like, uh, from that point of view, it was, it was, uh, it was always going to be a case of um, learning an odd phrase here or there, if yeah. I, uh, just to be polite, and um, and then after that, like the guys would just speak in English to me. It got difficult after a few points because the lads would prefer to speak <laughs> yeah. Irish. Yeah. So were you exposed to the music when you're down there? A couple of times, I I heard heard of sessions in Kilkiran, which was near where I lived, and I never quite had the bottle to walk in. Yeah, <laughs> comes back to that belonging thing we were talking about before. That kind of, it's a, it's a very, 
it's a very hard thing when you're living on your own. You 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 want to break new ice, and you, when you're out there and you move somewhere, I mean, moving to Connemara is the same as moving to London or mm. moving to Paris or moving. Well, maybe not Paris, but uh, moving to Australia or Canada, another English-speaking country. Um, it is like you have those same challenges where it's like, right, am I gonna? You know, am I going to just break ice here and be brave and try and make friends? Or am I going to be proud and kind of within myself? Because like a really busy city can be the loneliest place in the world. Because just to relate to it, so the sessions, no, I didn't really get to the sessions because I always felt that if I walked in, the whole pub would turn around and be like, who's you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, is it, like there's a reoccurring story which we always end up seeing to talking about on, on the podcast but so myself and Dominic met each other it was through a mutual friend and Dominic's from Ballycastle this mutual friend knew that I played banjo and he said there's a friend of mine moving here from Seattle he's been over there for 20 years but he's moving to Bowen Heads he plays music too you should give him a ring and I went yep in my head I'm freaking out going oh man he's going to be so Irish <laughs> uh, like he's going to meet me and just at the same time the mutual friend has given Dom my number saying this fella lives in Bowen Heads give him a call and he's thinking this fella's from the south he's real Irish he's going to be so much more <laughs> Irish than me so it, it's happening everywhere no one feels we're all we are, maybe that's part of that psyche we're talking about maybe we just feel like we're aliens and that imposter syndrome no matter what we do yeah absolutely yeah belonging yeah do, I just want to go back onto your, your tunes for a bit because that's one of, such a fascinating part of why I want to speak with you what your approach now that you're you're in and you're actually singing for yourself what, what was your or what is your approach for finding songs like you're obviously writing your own original stuff but with regards to going back to archives or or, get, or finding the tunes what's what's your approach um, I I try to I try to be open minded I, I try not to stick to one archive um, I did spend a lot of time on the cultural equity uh, uh, the Alan Lomax's cultural equity um, page, you know, just browsing around yeah. world music, but also going to the Ireland section. There's a massive you clued section. me in on that. I, I had no idea that Lomax. I'm a, an old time American fan, so I, I was familiar with Lomax. And then when you started mentioning about his Irish stuff, that's can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I'm going to go and <laughs> research yeah. it myself. Yeah, because um, I. I was getting into that probably before last year's flat. I was getting into the origins of songs and stuff like that. And Lomax came up. And uh, I started YouTube, and as you do, you know the way you get in YouTube oh. hole. <laughs> Hours. So, so mid-YouTube hole, I came across this uh, Alan Lomax interview. And um, in the interview, he started talking about Ireland, and he was saying how... Um, England and Ireland were the first places he went to when, uh, but after he'd you know done a lot of the Appalachian mm. and stuff and America, and he'd done several states there and, uh, uh, you know, working as an archivist. But the very first place he went to internationally were was Ireland and England, yeah. and um, his fondness for Ireland is, you know, was was visible in the interview. But those recordings are so raw; it's unbelievable. Like you know. He's uh he's got Seamus Ennis and a good few recordings and then he's got like you know, um oh, what's her name? The the um her name doesn't occur to me, but it's a, a travelling woman who was very famous for um having the song uh, She Moves Through the Fair, which would oh, be a very okay. big song. But believe it or not, the the origins of that song are equally interesting where you would think it was one of these kind of uh, foggy dew misty lady kind of songs but it's actually more of a it's more of a um, it's more of a song that was a straight up kind of a harder folk song it was just over the years it slid in I mean John McCormick recorded that the tenor John McCormick yeah. and that's where um, I, I, the lady's name can't uh, um, Margaret Barry okay. that's her name yeah. Margaret Barry uh, well, when Margaret Barry uh recorded the version of She Moves Through the Fair which was eventually what Annie Briggs recorded and then Sinead O'Connor and so on um, that goes back to a John McCormick recording really? which is completely you know different so when so, you say it, it, that, that recording what's that like the the original you say it's just more folky um, more 
hard hitting. Yeah, well, Margaret Barry just played the banjo. She's a good banjo player and, and singer. I'm very, very, very famous uh, f- f- folk artist. Um, but I, it was listening to Lomax and then going down that hole and, and then jumping in and out of the archive, I realised an awful lot of the songs that Lomax had collected. And uh, not just... I, um, that song, I'm not, I'm not 100% whether it was in that archive or not, but mm. it was part of the story to show you that... Um, some of the songs that you in the archive that you'd heard like in their in their earlier versions were much different than down the line. Yeah. And that was probably the most interesting part of the archive archives. And it is still is a very interesting part of the archives where you hear songs and then you hear how they've evolved and then you can hear different versions and you can hear even versions like with unaccompanied singing you can hear versions that have completely different verses. Yeah, right. And then, you know, um, like one of the songs on the album is a song called Marcy and the Russian and um, when I first heard Marcy and the Russian it was Joe Heaney singing Marcy and the Russian but then I knew that Christy Moore had done a version of it on his album and uh, I'd listened to that and then I listened to uh, Ewan McCall's version which was uh, I really liked it in, in certain aspects but wasn't in the style I was hoping to do the song but then I went into the Lomax archive and came across the song and it was absolutely brilliant version of it and uh, in the song uh, in the archive where uh, <laughs> the whole crowd are divvying up your man in the middle of the song you know because the song is about um, a boxer it's, it's uh, a boxer uh, called Johnny Morrissey he's a famous Irish boxer back in the 19th century and um, yeah the whole crowd are kind of divvied up in between the in between the rounds yeah. of the fight as it gets to his penultimate round yeah. and the whole um, but yeah, the archives are gold dust, yeah. and I, it got, it got it sent me down a trail of uh, cultural equity and how important it is, and all of that builds into the context of um, where I am now. Where I'm, I'm, I like we said like before about the responsibility of when you learn a local song, for example, that you kind of have to, you have to, uh, you have to keep in mind that the people who have those songs mightn't pass them all over mm-hmm. and um, that still does ha- exist even though uh, you could say you know there's very little of it left I mean an awful lot of songs have been archived but um, every man who's a musician in every corner of the globe has some something he's done himself you know and it's about trying to reap that treasure you know yeah Sean, thank you so much for taking the time out of the flat. This is the last day of the flat. This is the Sunday of the flat, so I know what that means. So it's a lot to give up. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Um, what I'll do is I'll get all your details from you with regards to where to send people for albums and to follow you on socials and all that, and I'll put them in the, in the show notes. But um, it would be great if we could go out on, on one last song, if you had one. Cool. Yeah. No, I... I, I, I... You get me at the right time, you know, kind of, like, you get me at the right time when it comes to, to cause I'm, everything's so fresh in my head with the album and like, and dreaming is allowed coming from the whole Gore experience and, you know, the secret path and everything, yeah. you know, dreaming is allowed, you've only got how many years left, like, let's do it. Celebrate wins, singing a ballad, singing a hymn, pairing a verse and putting it in, ever and lowering into a tune. Safety of comfort, minding myself, living the dream and having good health. Me and my people being alone, no one can stop me enjoying the time. Yeah, these are the days of our prime. These are the days of our prime Getting elected, winning a cup Having the first one, having enough Moving to somewhere, moving again Living and loving and living again Being a father 
being a son Having a wedding, finding the one Joy of the living, truth of the dead Making the memories in my head All in the days of our prime All in the days of our prime Just on Sean, he also did me another thing, another favor, which was after the interview, um, he he does he lives just around the corner from where my my parents live. So he left, he went back home, and then he texted me that All Ireland hurling was on. He said, "Hey, you free after the hurling? Um, the singers club is on. I'm going down. Would you be interested?" So now you're you've listened to Sean's interview and you know his relationship with the singers club. I went down. This was so special to me. It was in the old library in Drada. So this is the old library on Fair Street that I would have went to when I was a kid. I can still remember reading um, Green Eggs and Ham and those kind of um, books back in, in this old, old building. And it moved sometime in the, the 90s. And I hadn't been back in that building. So I went in there. The place was packed. They'd been going from 11 a.m. It was, it was coming up to 6 p.m. They hadn't had one repeat singer or one repeat song before Sean sang another gentleman got up and he told a um, an old story and it just it blew me away to be in my old library where I had these special memories and feelings anyway to then have this man telling a beautiful story about <laughs> about being playing at a wedding and then having to enter a field of fairies and then being given a gold coin and a tiny jar of, of Mountain Dew and then Sean got up and he sang an unaccompanied song it was so beautiful and that room was packed and you could hear a pin drop and then to walk back out onto the street of the last night in the flower was all chaos and mayhem just a beautiful example of why it's such a beautiful festival but anyway his album is called dreaming is allowed interesting title particularly with some of the things some of the themes that are brought up during the chat um you can get that on all the usual places spotify itunes all that kind of place if there's somewhere you can go to throw a few dollars do that Amazing. Thanks again, Sean Matthews. Thanks, mate. Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.